0: Today we're starting a brand new series going verse by verse through the short book of Philippians. Since you brought your Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter one. I've titled the message, Prayer Builds a Life of Joy. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, you look like you have some joy. Come on, say it with a little confidence. Good, now look at your other neighbor that you rejected on that first try and say, you look like you need some joy. That's all right, you need this prayer. You need this sermon. All right, Book of Philippians is known to a lot of people as a book about joy, about rejoicing, about finding joy in otherwise tough circumstances. Joy is an interesting word, isn't it? I mean, if I were to ask you, do you you want joy in your life? Most people would say, yes, it's something I want, it's something we desire, it's something we see in others. Have you ever known people that they're just joyful people? But it's often hard to define. It's one of those words that we just say, well, what's joy? Well, it's joy, I don't know, it's joy. And there's actually a myriad of of definitions out there. A secular definition of joy is joy is the feeling of pleasure, the feeling of elation, the feeling of happiness that's based on some sort of accomplishment, success, or good fortune externally. However, the shortfall of that definition, in my opinion, is that joy is a feeling and joy depends on the accomplishment, success, or the external reality of someone else or something else. Biblical joy, however, is a fruit of the Spirit. It's an evidence of God's working in your life. Biblical joy, or the faith-based definition of joy, has more to do with a confidence and an inner peace that comes from choosing to trust that God will fulfill his word. Let me say it for you like this. For the Christian, joy has to do with the assurance that God is in control and that we can trust him Completely. Can I tell you something? We live in a world that does not produce a lot of joy, but we can still have joy because our God is bigger than this world. We live in a culture that's chaotic and it's got so many crazy things going on It's so many different debates and and animosities and anxieties and all kinds of things to stress you out. And if we're waiting on external situations to get right, to be joyful, we're going to be waiting a very long time but joy for the Christian is the fruit of the spirit. The Bible says love, joy, peace, patience. These are evidence of the, the spirit of God. Listen, joy is connected to Jesus, not our circumstances. So let me say it for you like this. I'm not joyful because of circumstances. I'm joy filled because of the God who's over my circumstances. I'm not joyful because everything's going right. I'm joyful because God is already all right. I'm not joyful because of my situation. I choose joy because I trust Jesus. I read one statement in a commentary said, biblical joy is a choice to respond to external circumstances with an inner contentment and satisfaction. I trust God. I trust in God. I'm defined by God. I'm satisfied with God above all else. Listen, this world can fall completely apart, but my confidence is not in this world. I quoted this week on my uh, one of my social media platforms Romans eight eighteen Paul the apostle writes and he says the pain of this world is nothing compared to the joy that is to come. Our confidence, our joy, is not based on temporary circumstances; it's based on an eternal God. Can I hear an amen, everybody? Amen. So it's part of the fruit of the spirit for the Christian: joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. It's part of the Christian experience and. And having joy is something we desire, but how do we do that? How do we get to a life of joy? It's not just fake happiness, it's a deep contentment that God is with us in transition, in pain, in whatever. How do we choose joy? What are the decisions that we make that will impact our joy quotient? Come on, somebody got a JQ up in here? Anybody know what I'm talking about? What are some practical steps to follow to choose joy? And that's what I'm hopeful this series will explore. The letter to the Philippians is known to bring joy and to be a letter about joy, and there's 10 messages that we're gonna walk through together, and I think all 10 of these passages, all 10 of these messages will teach us, if we'll follow the Apostle Paul's attitude in this letter, we'll learn to live a life with joy. Now, let me tell you, the letter to the Philippians, if I can just give you a little background here, was written around the year 62 AD, about 30 years after the death of Jesus and resurrection of Christ, And it was written to a small group of house churches and public gatherings in a city called Philippi by their founding pastor, the Apostle Paul. We've heard a lot about the Apostle Paul in the last year as we finished our Book of Acts series, but now we're gonna see him leading churches. And he wrote this letter to thank these Christians for being an amazing church group, to push them to trust God and to continue in their amazing generosity. He wrote this letter from a Roman prison. In fact, I just, I wanna tell you, he didn't write the book of Romans from you know, a chaise lounge on a deck overseeing the Mediterranean with you know, fans blowing on him and grapes being fed to him. I wanna show you a picture of the prison we believe Paul was in when he wrote this letter. This is uh, outside of the city from the Colosseum in Rome. It's in a recently, well, it's been excavated for a while now, but in, in part of the excavated part of the, Rome, uh, the Roman city, the ancient Roman city. This would be about a five and a half foot tall ceiling So that means I would have hated every moment of this. Uh, If you notice the wall in the middle that's collapsed now, this would have been a dividing wall from the two cells and in the floor is a hole. This is a hole for relieving yourself, right? Or maybe feeding yourself, I don't know, whatever. Um, If you look into the wall under that sign, you see some holes in the wall. That's where the stocks would have been, where, where he would have been chained to this wall. It's dank, it's underground, it's cold. It's musky, it's nasty. They they may get a meal a day. There's no sunlight in this prison. And Paul was being held in this prison for false accusations. I got to just tell you as a pastor, Paul endured more suffering than any pastor or church planner I've ever personally met. He was physically beaten so many times he said, "I've lost count." He was examined by flogging. That is they would take Dalrods rods and just beat the devil out of him, asking questions that he had no answers for. We wanna know about this. And he'd say, I don't have an answer for that. So they'd, they'd flog him again. They'd hit him again and they'd falsely accuse him. And they'd say, is it true? And he, he would give no answers that they wanted because they were falsely accusing him. They'd examine him through flogging. He'd been multiple times arrested, in prison multiple times, chased by angry mobs, lied about, shipwrecked, left for dead. And yet through all of that, maintained a passionate demeanor and love for God. Listen, if Paul followed a fake religion, he would have quit a long time ago. But Paul had an encounter with Jesus. Paul loved God and he had a love for God's people. And he would write these letters. Like for Paul, his attitude was, if I'm in prison, I need to take some time to write. He didn't look at prison as a time to find pity for himself. He wrote with honest candor, with humility, with an abiding passion to choose joy in every circumstance. Even though Paul wrote his letter to the Philippian church from a dank prison cell, he still found the occasion to write to a church who had blessed him, who supported his ministry, had prayed for him, and was able to encourage him on multiple occasions. So I believe Paul's perspective should be our perspective. We're gonna learn from this letter how our joy can grow through certain behaviors that Paul exhibits in this letter. His passion for Jesus, his commitment to joy is seen throughout this text. And I wanna spend the rest of our time today walking through the beginning of chapter one of Philippians. And I wanna first start by saying joy is part of God's blessing for you. As we see the opening of this letter, there's some blessings that Paul pronounces over the Philippian church. And I believe these are blessings for us. And if we'll truly believe these blessings, they will produce joy in us. Let's read together Philippians chapter one, verse one. He starts by self-identifying. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with all the overseers and the deacons. Now, it's important for us to see a few things uh, as we start this letter. And in and, and anybody receiving an epistle or a, a New Testament letter, there are a few criteria that were needed to prove these letters that were circulating to ensure that they were worth listening to, worth reading aloud in the churches and following. The teachings of, and then ultimately, this would be what would help them become included in the canon of the New Testament. One of the specific criteria for any New Testament letter is that it needed to be written by an apostle of Jesus or an immediate disciple of apostle. And I want you to just see at the opening of this letter, Apostle Paul self-identifies as the author, and he names his immediate disciple, his spiritual son, Timothy, there was actual brilliance in Paul writing his and Timothy's name here because he gives apostolic authority to the letter and everything that's gonna be said in the letter. Another criteria of the text to be widely accepted by the network of New Testament churches is that it had to be written that the mass group of churches could accept it and it would be universally accepted to all Christian churches. Well, Paul is writing to the Philippian church, but it's not just one church, it's not one campus. It's a multi-campus church, by the way, And and it's uh, in part of what is modern day northern Greece, almost directly east of Rome and just northwest of Jerusalem. In fact, hey, in honor of my favorite mother on the planet, the mother of my babies, my baby mama, I have a map for you. So this is for you to see. Happy Mother's Day, Steph. Never in my entire ministry have I pulled up a map for you. So God's working on me. If you're familiar with the Mediterranean Sea, here's Northern Africa, there's the beginning of the Middle East, and then this is now Greece, but Philippi is this cluster of churches in this city on the the northern shore of this sea right here, just east of Rome. Paul's in prison, and there is this group of churches that he had planted some time ago. So I want you to see in his opening statement, first of all, he self-identifies, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, and he writes to all the Christians in the church. So hey, church, listen, I want you to understand what he wrote to this band of Christians, I believe is applicable to us as a group of Christians. Can I hear an amen from everybody? And notice he he mentions both ends of the leadership spectrum to the overseers and the deacons. Now the overseers would be the pastors and the elders of the church, the trustees of the church, if you would. And the deacons, these are servants. This is the dream team of the church. So, so to the leadership and the dream team and everyone in between that's running this church, he's writing this letter. And then he gives what I think is one of the most understated passages of the New Testament, but it's honestly one of the most powerful pronouncements of blessing on Christians. The very next verse, he says this, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I just wanna park here for just a minute. Honestly, I love this greeting. Almost every letter Paul writes, he starts with grace and peace to you. I, I, I'm so convinced, convicted that this is a profound greeting I actually end most of my emails and letters, I'll say grace and peace, and then I'll sign my name. I I love this greeting from the Apostle Paul. It's incredibly powerful, and these are gifts from God that if we will fully embrace the grace of God and the peace that comes from Jesus Christ, it will bring you joy, that deep contentment that I I can trust God. Let Let me just unpack these two words for you. Grace is very misunderstood in the church world, but let me tell you what it is first. Grace is the power of God at work in us and in work through us, which helps us live for God. So Paul is starting by saying, may the grace of God be with you. That means may God's power flow in you. May God's power flow through you. May May the full weight of the Holy Spirit live on the inside and come out of the outside of you. God not only wants you to live for him, but the grace of God is the power of God to live for God. We think of grace, and I think we've just, I think we've misappropriated the meaning of grace for decades in the church world. We think grace is the back end of a screw up. I made a mistake, I I cussed out my coworker, I had a mistake online, or I looked at something I shouldn't have. I need God's grace, I need God's grace. No, 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 you need God's forgiveness and mercy. Grace is not the same as forgiveness and mercy. Let me just teach you something here. Forgiveness and mercy is the back end of a screw up. Forgiveness and mercy is what you, mercy is when God says, I'm not gonna extend judgment to you. I'm gonna put my judgment on Jesus. Mercy is you getting to keep your job. Mercy is God restoring your marriage after you made a, a massive mistake. The mercy of God is on the back end, but the grace of God is on the front end of your life that empowers you to live for God. Grace is the front facing way that God empowers us to live in a way that pleases him in Titus chapter 2. Paul writes to his son Titus and he says it this way. The grace of God has appeared, offering salvation to everyone. Well, who is that? It's Jesus. The grace of God is ultimately the active presence of Jesus. And then he says, and that grace teaches us. Watch this, It's a front. teaching is always a front end of mistakes, right? The grace of God teaches us to say no to sin, to live upright and godly lives in this present age. Grace is the power of God to live for God. We have an incredible unearned gift from the Lord and it's called the grace of God. It's the power of God to help us live in a way that pleases him and that should bring you a confidence in God, which brings some joy into your life. What an amazing greeting, Paul says. Man, may the grace of God be on your life. Yes, I receive that. Some of us think I only need grace when I mess up. No, 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 I need grace to keep from messing up. I want to be so filled with the power of God and the spirit of God that I walk in the grace of God every day to live in a way that pleases him. I don't want grace to bail me out. I want grace to keep me out. And then he says, man, I haven't even started preaching yet. Glory to God, where's my organ player? (laughs) He says, grace to you and peace from God. In the original Greek, this idea of peace from or of God. Does God ever not have peace? Do you think God ever sits in heaven wringing his hands going, Gabriel, I just don't know how we gonna pull this off. The, the peace of God for you. The peace that emanates from the presence of God. Listen to me, Paul's saying, I want the power of God in your life and I want the same peace that God has in your life. Watch this. May there be a God-centered stillness for you. Nothing can separate you or shake you or rattle you or pull you from a peace that looks like a God-centered stillness and confidence that God is good and he is in control. Some of you, hey moms, your life's chaotic at home, your kids are a mess. Some of y'all just need to take a deep breath. You need to remember God's not scared. God hasn't stopped loving you. God hasn't lost his peace. And what Paul is praying on the beginning of this blessing is the power of God and the peace from God be upon you. Man, I'm gonna tell you, that that gives me joy. Paul writes it like this in another letter, Romans 8. He said, neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, things present, thing to come, nothing going on now, nothing that's gonna happen in the future, no powers, height, depth, no anything else in all creation will ever separate us From the love of God in Christ Jesus, you can be in peace and know that God is pleased with you, he is for you, he is all about you, he's concerned with you, he loves you, and he's never rattled by what rattles you. And Paul's going, may the power of God and the peace that God has be the power and the peace in you. Boy, if that doesn't give you joy, I don't know what else to give you. Crumble cookies, like I don't know. I love this greeting and this blessing is so underrated. Sometimes we open New Testament, like new letters in the Bible and we just kind of skim through. We go, let's get to the meat. That is meat. That is filet, two and a half inch, butterfly filet cooked medium well. Come on, Jesus. Some of y'all medium rare people love your stuff bleeding. I like it a little cooked more than that. That blessing brings peace, which brings joy. That blessing brings power, which brings joy. What an amazing greeting. Now, to start, To have joy, we gotta remember the blessings of God bring us joy, the blessing of grace and peace. Now, how we get joy is learn to pray for others. I wanna remind you where Paul was. Can we show that picture one more time for five seconds? Paul was in an awful place. Terrible circumstances, wrongfully imprisoned. Can we show the prison again? For a couple years by now. He was in an underground prison, probably couldn't even stand up, sitting in front of his own toilet, he was held against his will. He didn't know when he would get an audience with the Caesar and if he would be killed or not. But he doesn't one time complain or grumble in any of his letters about the circumstance. And he didn't even start his prayer by praying for himself. Some of us, when we write letters, how many of y'all do the Christmas letters every year? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay, none of you, great. <laughs> so I won't expect one from you, that's great. I ne- You know. You ever get those letters and well, it was another hard year. Economy was down, tree fell on my house. Like, who starts a letter like that? Well, a lot of us live our days like that. We're like Eeyore. We just walk around, my bother. Paul doesn't start like that. Watch how he begins his letter, verse three. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I think of you guys all the time. Remember where he is, sitting next to his own toilet. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you making my prayer with joy. Man, I just want you to see that part of building a life of joy is choosing to think about other people for once in your life. Stop thinking of yourself all the time. We live in a world of trying to become somebody and getting more likes and more clicks, and I wanna call myself an influencer. If people don't accept me for me, how about you start thinking about others? Self-pity will never bring you joy. Self-focus will never bring you joy. It'll just bring you down, even if you're focusing on the great things of your life. Today's a me day. I'm gonna treat yourself. I'm gonna get a many pedi I'm gonna go on ahead and handle myself. That's a fleeting moment. The fact is, many times we do that to escape the realities that we're self-pitied and self-focused. But your mindset here matters and giving focus to others will begin to bring you joy. Listen to this. Paul was in a terrible prison and yet leans back on a wall. I can imagine him with some parchment and no lighting. He leans back and begins to pen the letter of a group of Christians that have He got to lead to Christ in Philippi years before coming to prison. And he's going, man, those are my people. I can't wait to see them again. I hope Thomas is still doing great over there. What about Margaret? Man, she was so good. She could cook so awesome. And he leans back with this huge grin. And he says, I thank my God every time I think about you guys. If we would start thinking of others more often than ourselves, praying for others, focusing on the good of others instead of the bad. Man, I'm telling you, God will begin to birth more joy in you. Later in Philippians two, he says it like this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourself. Church, listen, I'm pleading with you. Put others ahead of you. Think of others ahead of yourself. Stop being so focused on you. Am I talking to anybody else? Maybe it's the third service. That's who I'm talking about, not you guys, right? Joyful people are selfless people. Joyful people open doors for others. Joyful people are focused on others. Joyful people believe the best in others. Joyful people choose to see the good and speak the blessings on others. I think joy is beautiful as a personality trait and it's found in selfless people. Then Paul gets real specific, watch this. He says, I I think of you all the time. I remember you always because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He's very joyful about the Philippians his spiritual family, and there are practical reasons too, because they have partnered with him in the work of ministry, in funding the gospel, in providing for him to be a pastor, in planting new churches on Tiny Town Road. He was the first multi-site pastor planting campuses. He had the original forward campaign. See what I did there? Slit that right in there. It's worth noting that Paul keeps a good attitude about his church. His perspective is right. Now, 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 listen. I've worked with Christians a long time. I've worked with church folks for a long time. He doesn't highlight the negative. He doesn't highlight the church fights and the drama and the gossips and all that kind of stuff. He stays focused on the positive and the blessing that they are. He keeps his focus on the good they've done. I am confident that that church stressed him out at times as their pastor. I'm confident of that. But he didn't spend time there in his letter. He focused on the good they were doing. Let me encourage you, church, if you wanna grow in joy, Learn to focus on the positive in the people of your lives. Thank God for the good that's in your kids and choose not to just focus on the pain points. Listen, I got four kids. We have disciplined conversations. There are days that my wife and I have to retreat into our room and look at each other and go, you helped me build these things. What in the world were we thinking? Y'all hear what I'm saying, everybody? But I just want you to understand They are a gift and a blessing from God. If they weren't difficult, then you wouldn't need to be in their lives. Parents, you're their disciplers. You're the ones that help train and develop them. But what if we would focus on the good in our kids and not just ruminate on the pain points? Thank God for the good in your marriage and your spouse and choose not to be consumed with the things that aren't perfect like a Hallmark movie talking to a friend recently and I, I started asking him the question. I was like, what do you love about your wife? What'd you love about her back in the day when they started and they were having some conflict? She, he says, man, she's so independent, she's so strong. And, and I said, yeah, and now it looks like she's so stubborn and she'll never listen to me. I said, the very thing that you loved about her, now you're starting to look at, change your perspective. Focus on the blessing of having a job instead of hating the job you have. Focus on the blessing of having a house instead of wishing you had your neighbor's house. Thank God for the resources you have. When our perspective is off, it depletes us of joy. Verse six, he says, Verse five, he said, you know, I'm so thankful for the partnership of the gospel. Then in verse six, he says, and I'm sure of this. This is a confidence for Paul that God who began a good work in you will bring it to the completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Listen, there's a day of closure. There's a day of judgment coming. And here's what Paul says. I Am I yelling? I feel like I'm yelling. I'm just getting after it, y'all. I'm going to amen my own self. Y'all ain't going to help me. I'm going to do it. Amen, pastor. Go ahead, bro. (laughs) Hey, well. No, no, don't help me now. No, don't help me now. I've been helping my own self up here all morning. He said, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work. How many of y'all know God's done some good things in your life? Well, he's not over, he's not done. He's still got work to do, and the God who started the good will bring it to completion. What an amazing promise. Can I challenge all of you on Mother's Day? Memorize this verse over your kids. God who blessed you with them babies has blessed you with raising them babies, and he's gonna finish what he started in them babies. God's going to continue it. He's going to bring him back home. He's going to bring him back to Jesus. You stand on the promise of God. Believe God for the marriage. The same God you asked to come in at your wedding is the same God you need to invite into your marriage all the way to a completion. I told Stephanie, if you leave me, I'm going with you, girl. We're going to go through this forever because I'm believing the same God that we met with at the altar in 2002 is the same God that's going to be there when we're finished. But notice how Paul says that I am sure of this. Some of us aren't sure of that. Some of us have lost our confidence in God. And so we've gotten self pitiful and we've gotten ruminating and we've gotten a lack of joy. I'm trying to help restore your joy. Be confident in the God who's made a promise to you. God who started good things in your academic career in your parenting in your company, he will complete good things because God doesn't just start stuff. He will see it through because he's good. Verse seven, Paul says, it is right for me to feel this way. Some of you are like, I don't, I don't wanna boast about stuff. It's so good in my life right now. No, it is right to feel this way. It's right to thank God for your kids every day. It's right to thank God for that job that you don't love. It's right to thank God for all the blessings of, his, of your life. It ain't arrogant, it's thankful. He said, it's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. Remember where he's writing from. I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment, y'all are in here with me, and in my defense of this gospel. He said, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So, Listen, even as I'm preaching this text, all of us have forgotten the prison cell he's at I just imagine Paul sitting there just forgetting the room he's in, forgetting the smell, forgetting the hunger, forgetting the rats. He's just in a place of joy in prayer. It's right to feel good about the people who are a blessing to your life and who you're praying for and who bring you joy. Listen, God will grow your love for people as you build them up in prayer. As you remember the blessing they are in prayer, God will build you up. I wanna encourage you. If you struggle with people, pray for them. If you're having a difficult time with your kids or your family or your neighbors, whatever, begin to pray and begin to pray affectionate prayers and say, God, I put them in my heart. I hold them close to me, God. Listen, pray for people and let God grow your heart for them. Some of you struggle with folks. Let me, t- let me remind you of some. A couple, uh, last year, Pastor Anthony Daly, one of my great friends in town, he pastors Mosaic Church. He'll be here this fall again to preach for us. He taught me to let God grow my love for people. And let God change how I see people by praying bigger prayers for them. He, he said, you may not be able to reconcile with those people, but you can reconcile with them in prayer. And he shared the story of a guy who tried to interfere with his marriage and he was really angry at him. And, and I won't give you all the story details, but he said, God really convicted him to pray for that guy. He said, I wanna pray for God to kill him. I wanna pray for God to get him to die. You know? and he said, the Lord, he's human too. Come on, pastors. He said, God put in him to start praying. He started praying huge prayers for this guy. And he says, to this day, he loves that guy with a deep love and he's so proud of the guy. He said, he doesn't even know he's doing, but in his mind, that guy is full of the spirit and doing some great things for God. And he said, it all happened in my prayer closet. Prayer for others will bring you joy. So now let's get specific and let God hear specific prayers for others. So Paul says, I thank God in every remembrance of you and every prayer of mine for you. You're making my joy complete. Like you are God who started things is gonna complete things and you're partakers with me in this grace. And then he says in verse nine, watch this. It is my prayer, here it is. It is my prayer that, here's his prayer. He he, He lists like seven things. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more. It's my prayer that your knowledge abound more and more, that discernment abound more and more so that you may approve what is excellent. So be pure and be blameless for the day of Christ, the day of judgment, and be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Notice he doesn't give generic prayers. God, would you just, just, just bless them, God. Just make their wildest dreams come true, God. Just, just bless them, Lord, just, Lord. (laughs) No, Paul is very specific. I want you to see what he prayed for him. I wanna give you a list of how to pray for your kids and how to pray for your friends and how to pray for your coworkers and how to pray for people you hate. Watch this. He prays that their love abound more and more. God, would they grow in their love of God? Lord, would they grow in their love of scripture? God, would they grow in abundant love for people? He says, I pray that your knowledge abound. I want them to know God's word and God's will. Let them grow as pilots. Let them grow as, as crew chiefs, Lord God. Let them become the greatest in their field in Jesus' name. I pray for your discernment, for their ability to discern good and evil from the flesh and the spirit. Lord God, let them see when the devil's after them. Let them see when they're walking in in victory versus walking in evil, Lord God. He said, I pray that you approve what's excellent. He's praying for them to have wisdom and clarity that you guys don't need your pastor to show up and tell you what God wants, that you'll be able to know and discern what the will of God is for you. He says, I'm praying for you to have purity. Remember what Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. I'm praying for you guys to walk in victory, walk in purity, walk in holiness, walk in a blameless life before God. He said, I want you to be blameless for the day of Christ. Here's what he's teaching. We're all gonna be judged one day. The day of Christ is the day of judgment. He said, I want you guys to walk in such holiness that the Lord's going, oh man, I can't wait for those Philippians to get here for me to judge how awesome they've been. That's Paul's prayer. What a great pastor. And then he says, I'm praying for you to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but this is an amazing prayer. How many of you would love people to pray this over you every day? Paul didn't pray generic prayers. He prayed specific prayers. And I wanna ask you to make the same choice. If we're gonna grow in joy, if we're gonna grow in prayer and build a joyful life in prayer, I wanna ask you to build a prayer life for others, that's specific. Now, here's my assignment for you. You guys ready since you're all not taking notes? and I, uh, Here's what I want you to do for the next seven days. I want you every day to make a list of five to 10 people that you will commit to pray for specific things. And I want you to pray for them with fondness and affection. Now, look, this could be a, a list of people you love or people you hate or anywhere in between. Jesus said, bless those who persecute you. Bless your enemies, right? So it could be people you love or you hate or everywhere in between. It could be people who bless you or people who stress you out. And here's what I want you to do every day. Put a list together. You can do it today as part of your Mother's Day dinner, right? Like Let's, let's just decide as a family, okay, who are our five to 10 Monday people? And then on Tuesday, pick a new five to 10. Wednesday, a new five to 10. Here's what's gonna happen. By the end of seven days, you're gonna run out of people because y'all don't have 35 people you're praying for faithfully. So, I wanna pray for, I wanna ask you to pray for five to 10 people every single day, and then I want you to be bold and very specific. And if you don't know what to pray, pray these things first. But start to pray specific prayers over them, and stop thinking of yourself only, and start praying for other people and pray specifically for them. Things like this. God, I pray today for my boss. I pray for confidence and wisdom for her. I pray that she would lead with excellence and godly character and wisdom. Let my boss know that you're powerful, God, and that you know her, God, and that you love her, and that she matters to you and to this company. Let my boss know that we as a company will treat her well and be respectful and highly visible to her, that we'll be a blessing to her and not a curse for her. Lord, bless her marriage, bless her family, bless her kids in the name of Jesus. Are y'all hearing what I'm doing, everybody? Pray for your kids this way. Quit praying, God, I wish my kids would just listen to me and start praying, God, I pray the godliness of God out of that kid. I pray a deep abiding love for Jesus in my son. I pray that he will fulfill the purposes and plans of God on his life, that he'd love God, that he'd love his family, that he would love his wife, if not now, then one day, Lord God, that he would love a woman so deeply in Jesus' name. Let me give you a freebie. Pray for your pastor. Write this down. God, I pray the full weight of heaven would empower and equip my pastor, his family, the church, the staff, the elders, the board of trustees, and the overseers. God, we're making a difference in this city, and I pray for godly decisions, for all the resources needed to accomplish the task you've called us to. God, I pray for the dream team. I pray for the volunteers and the keyboard player. God, I pray for their families. Their marriages would be strong. Their kids would serve God. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. I want you to pray every day, five to 10 people on a list specifically specific things, and God will build your joy. All of a sudden, you stop thinking about you because you're praying for others and you're praying for God to move. God, put discernment and knowledge in my pastor. Put, put purity in, the, in the, the, the people that I work with, Lord God. It is such a chaotic tragedy to come to work every day and hear this kind of language and this kind of vulgarity and see porn on laptops at work. But God, I pray for purity and righteousness in the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my business. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying, everybody? Pray bold, confident, word of God prayers. And listen, last thing I'll say, and we're gonna pray, please don't leave. Listen, joy is a confidence that God is with you. And listen, I promise you, God hears you when you pray and God listens when you pray his word. He hears you and he's with you and the grace of God is gonna empower you and the peace of God is gonna be with you. Joy is about an assurance of God more than any circumstance being right. Some of us are waiting on circumstances to get fixed and I feel like God's waiting on you to pray for those circumstances. We'll we'll see a lot about joy in this series. But joy starts with prayer. Pray every day this week, five to 10 people. Pray for others, pray blessings, pray consistently and let the joy of the Lord, peace of God, grace of God, empower it all. God, we love you. We love your word. We love your spirit. We love your church. We love what you're doing in us. We are so grateful, Lord, that you would move among us in this message today. God, we've heard your word and we receive it by faith. We wanna be impacted and moved by you in Jesus' name. Can we open our hands to the Lord? Come on, everybody around this room, don't be shy about it. Don't say, well, I don't do that. Come on, let's open our hands to the Lord. Let's pray this together. Say, God, I've heard your word. I believe what I heard in the book of Philippians. I receive it by faith. Move me to prayer. Grow my prayer life for others and to pray the word over them in Jesus' name. Say, I believe in Jesus, that he died for my sin and raised from the dead to give me new life. I receive the grace of God and the peace that comes from knowing God and the joy that comes in Jesus' name. Say, God, I'm all in. I'm all yours in Jesus' name.